The year was 1942, and there was a man who was living in Nebraska, and he had fallen in love with a young lady. And yet the war overseas in Europe was raging. Hitler had invaded Poland, and the United States had been attacked the previous uh, December at Pearl Harbor, and we had declared war. And we had entered the war, and this young man who was in love with this young lady was drafted into the war. So before he entered the war, he decided that he would go ahead, and after he had finished boot camp, he, de he decided to invite this young lady down to where he was at, and in a, in a three-day leave, he decided to marry this young woman just before he was shipped off. Because he realized that he loved her. He didn't want to have her, you know, be left behind, and uh, who knows what would have happened. Well, this young man was able to go off to war. He was able to return safely, and eventually, him and his wife gave birth to my mother, and that's how I'm standing here today. So, so that was my grandfather's story, and uh, love is consequential. When you love someone and you demonstrate that love, it has consequences. I'm one of those consequences here today before you. But God's love is consequential. Where have we been th thus far in the book of 1 John? I want to I spend a few moments recapping together where we've been. A review of 1 John, if you will. First of all, we learn in the beginning of 1 John that God's children can't stay in the dark. You know, God's children are averse to the dark. They want to stay in the light. They're attracted to the light. They've embraced the light of the revelation of Christ, and they want to live their lives there. The Bible says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But those who have come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have received the forgiveness that the cross offers through Christ, those come to the light. And John recognized that the true believers live their lives in the light. Yeah, they might dabble in darkness. They might find themselves surrounded by darkness at times, but they are attracted to come and live their lives in the light. So God's true children can't stay in the dark. Number two, God's children regularly confess their sins. They recognize that they fail. They recognize that they aren't perfect. They recognize the struggle, and it's real. But they also recognize that their responsibility is to admit when they've made a mistake, to admit when they've blown it, to confess and agree with God, God, you're right, your ways are perfect, and I haven't done what is right, and so I bring that before you in confession, and I say I'm sorry, and I agree with you that I need to get back on track. That's what God's children are regularly doing. They're confessing their sins. Number three, the book of 1 John tells us that God's children can, can discern truth. God's children discern the truth of God. We aren't left in the dark. We have been given the light and the knowledge of God and the truth, the revelation of truth. And God's spirit moves into our lives, into our beings, and he helps guide us into all truth. So God's true children have an understanding of the truth, can discern the truth, recognize truth from error. 
And they have that ability because God has adopted them and given them discernment. Number four, God's children continue to grow. God's children don't just stay stagnant. There's a growth cycle. There's a process that takes place in those who have been redeemed and those who have been chosen by God to be adopted into his family, chosen in grace. There's a growth that takes place. They don't stay dormant. There might be seasons of dry periods. There might be seasons where they aren't really doing all that they should be doing, but God is faithful and he continues to move them forward in his timing and his grace. And they are open to that. They are willing to allow God to produce growth in and through them. Number five, God's children commit to do what's right. There's a decision that's made to align their lives with what God has to say is right and true and according to his will. Now again, they might not be perfect in carrying that out, but there is a willingness. There is a commitment made. There is a decision that is chosen. I will follow your path, God. You are the boss. You are the creator. You are the one who makes the rules, and I will get in line with your plan. And number six, God's children consistently love others. They consistently love others. Today we're going to dive into what that love truly looks like. How that love is so consequential for every one of us. But it was introduced last week that God's children are open to the love of God and wanting to live it out in their own lives towards others. That's a true mark. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those are the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we come to today's text in 1 John chapter 3, we're going to pick up at verse 16 if you have your Bible. We need to understand that John is laying out a picture of what God's children are all about. Because he wants to encourage the church. He wants to encourage those that are facing all kinds of trouble all kinds of doubts, all kinds of scheming from the enemy, that they can have confidence that they are God's children if they have these characteristics, these qualities that are displayed in and through their lives. Would you guys mind standing for the reading of God's word this morning? I'm going to read this section. And I just thought, you know, partly you need the exercise. So do I. Uh, but partly, you know, let's, let's honor the word of God this morning with standing. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. This is how we will know we belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. Even if our conscience condemns us, that God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God. 
and can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we just honor your word this morning. We ask that you might work in our hearts, have our ears open, our hearts attentive to your word. God, convict us of areas we need convicting. Encourage us in areas we need encouragement. God, I pray that you will make it clear that your love is consequential. And God, help us to live that out each and every day. We give you glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing we see from this text is found in the verse 16. It's only found in the first sentence, the first half of verse 16. And God's love is consequential, first category, for our world. His love is consequential for our world. How? He provides our world eternal life. He provides the world eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 says this, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He, the one who has the Son, has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God does not have life. This is John's testimony. This is the last part of the book that he writes to the church. He says, this is the record, this is the, the testimony that we have. Jesus has come into the world, and he's come to give us life. We have seen it. We have witnessed it. We were his disciples. We saw him for three and a half years. We walked with him. We saw what he did. We saw he could raise the dead. We saw him raised from the dead. Let me tell you, he can provide us life. He has the power over the grave. All who come to him in faith will be rescued and delivered. That is the promise that God gives, and that is what John is testifying to, both now and later in his letter. Look at verse 16 again here in chapter 3. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. You know, Jesus' sacrifice is probably one of the most clear pictures of sincere, genuine love that we could ever have. As a matter of fact, I thought about it, and I thought about how, you know, God's heart was to rescue us as humanity. He saw our plight. He saw the sinful, rebellious hearts. He knew what that was going to lead to, judgment and destruction. That's his eternal law. If you rebel against what's right, you deserve wrath. A holy God cannot tolerate sin. And yet in love, he wanted to save us, to rescue us, to provide us a way out from our punishment, a way back to the Father. And that was the purpose of the cross. But I was thinking about why did he come down as a man? Why was he born as a baby? Why did he live his life? And spend all that time on earth with the struggle. Why? Why didn't he just wave a magic wand in heaven and say, your sins are absolved? 
Why did he come? Why did he die on that cross for our sins? Partly it had to do with his law. Partly it had to do with the sacrifice of blood that was required, a perfect sacrifice. And he was that perfect sacrifice. But I think there was, it's deeper than that. He wanted to display his love close up in a way that we could relate with, in a way that we could understand, in a way that we could see firsthand. John 3.16, the same writer, writing his gospel, writing the record of what he had seen and heard as he walked with Jesus Christ for those years, he wrote these words, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, love is considerate. Love is considerate. It's, it's selfless. It cares more about someone else than it does itself. And that's what God did in Christ. He was considerate. How was he considerate? He looked at the needs of us, of mankind. And was our need great? Absolutely it was. As a matter of fact, there was no way else that it could be remedied except for through his son Jesus being willing to come and give his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Do you realize that we were enemies of the cross? We're born into rebellion and sin, and we, all of us have gone astray. We've all turned our back on God at one time or another. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin, the Bible tells us, what that sin earns is death, separation from a holy God. Forever we are separated from that God unless there is a remedy, unless there is someone to come and to reconnect that relationship back to the Father. And that can only be done through Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. You see, love changed everything. Jesus laid down his life for our sins. Love is considerate. If someone says they love you and all they do is look out for their own interest, that's not love. But God loves you. And he didn't just look out for his own interest, did he? Did he stay up in heaven and go, that ain't worth it? You know the suffering on that cross? That's a brutal death. I ain't going down there for them. Look how they've sinned against me. Look how they spat in my face. I'll just leave them to their own devices and, and plight that they've earned. No, did he treat us that way? No. He was considerate of our need. He was so considerate that he said, I'm willing to go. That's, that's the second thing about love. Love is chosen. Love is chosen. It was a choice that Jesus made. I love what it talks about in John chapter 10. John chapter 10 talks about Jesus being the good shepherd and being willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Listen to what it says. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. No one, no one, listen to this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. 
I have received this command from my Father. Do you realize that Jesus willingly laid down his life? No one took it from him. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr. Jesus laid down his life. No one could take his life except that he lay it down willingly. It was a choice. Jesus made a choice to come and to lay down his life. At just the right time, at the appointed time of Passover, he became the Passover lamb. It was a picture of atonement, of sacrifice, of love. Jesus made that choice. He was surrendered to the Father's will. You know, I love what Ephesians 1 talks about. It says that when did Jesus make that choice? It wasn't just when he came to earth and when he went to the cross. It was way before he even founded this, this world. Think about this. In his pre-knowledge, in his divine knowing everything, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, he knew that if he created humanity, created free will, created a choice that happened in the garden, he knew the outcome of that choice, that man's heart was going to rebel against him. He knew the sin that was going to come into the world. He knew the struggle. He knew the whole thing. He knew what would be required in order to redeem and save those who were made in his image and likeness, the apple of his eye, his love, humanity. He knew it all. And rather than go, forget that plan, he said, it's all, it's all worth it. They're worth it. This whole thing is going to be worth it. I want to display my love. I want to display my love no matter what it costs. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says this, Ephesians 1, verse 4 and 5. For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, in love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favor and will. That's mind-blowing, is it not? Before the foundations of the world, Jesus chose you. He chose me. He chose this world to offer up his son as an act of ultimate love because he knew that love is consequential. He knew that love could rescue us and provide us eternal life with him again. And it wouldn't be our credit, would it? It wouldn't be our glory, would it? I earned eternal life with God the Father. We can't boast. The Bible tells us that for by grace are you saved through faith that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any of us boast. We are God's workmanship. We're literally a beautiful painting that he is painting that is going to be on display. Look at, the, look at what love created. Look at how love is consequential. Look at what heaven looks like. None of these souls deserve to be here. But because God, but God, who is rich in mercy, he's the one. He's the one that we should give the glory to, the credit, the honor. Because of his great love, we are not consumed. Finally, love is costly. Oh, it's costly. It's sacrificial. It gives everything. John chapter 15, verse 13 says these words. Jesus said it himself in the upper room with his disciples. 
There is no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he looked at him and he says, you're my friends. I'm going to lay down my life for you. No greater love. It cost him everything. How many want to sign up for the cross? It was an instrument of torture, one of the worst humanity has ever come up with. An instrument of punishment of those who were guilty. Jesus was innocent, and yet he stood in for the guilty. That is love. It's costly. It's sacrificial. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, pointing to the Messiah and his sufferings, says these words. He was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Jesus went to the cross. It cost him everything, and he did it for us. That is love. That is love. What I've just shared with you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news of what Jesus has come to do. It's not to form a religion. It wasn't even to have us sit in these beautiful green chairs. It was to provide eternal life for the world, a restored relationship with the Father that will last everlasting, eternal. And yet, in order for us to receive it, obtain it, get it, it's a gift, but we must open it. It's been handed to the world, to everyone in the world. It's available to all. So why are not all receiving it? Because it requires that we come to our senses. It requires that we come to our senses, that we see the trouble that we're in with the living God, the sin that's in our hearts, that consumes us, that doesn't give us peace. We must come to our senses, as the prodigal son did in the pig pen. And we must look up and say, Father, I need you. Father, I need your salvation. Father, I'm living out a destructive life. And I need what you have to offer me through your love. You know, years ago, I went on a missions trip in 2006. I took a youth group to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. And uh, while New Orleans was a total devastated disaster because of the flooding that took place there. And we were there to rebuild someone's house as a part of a missions trip. And I was impacted to see, number one, how stupid New Orleans is to build under sea level. Okay, it's the dumbest town I've ever seen, right? They built like 30 feet under sea level. So they rely on pumps to pump the water out every time it rains. Well, guess what? If the electricity goes out and the pumps fail, and then there's a hurricane, that's a bad situation for New Orleans. And then the levees broke, and it was just a disaster. But while I was there, and I was just thinking about, man, why would you live here? But also, like, man, it's, it's great to be able to come and help these folks. Just display the love of God. It was consequential for that family that we were there to help rebuild. You should have seen their appreciation, how much they just, like, they, they were left just like, what are we supposed to do? we got to pick up the pieces and move forward. And here we were representing God in that place and saying, God has come. He sent people to come help you. And I was, I was impacted by the idea that who was there to rebuild that city? It was the church of Jesus Christ. 
That's who was there. I was there to witness it. I didn't see all the other entities. They were probably all tied up with bureaucracy and who knows what. Or they just weren't interested. But God's people were wanting to display love. Anyway, I took a trip on the last evening we were there. And we went east, just because I, partly I thought it would be fun to go on a road trip with the youth. But also, I was just interested to see another state, because I had never been down there. So we drove towards Mississippi. And as we came into Waveland, Mississippi, I'll never forget, that's where the eye of Hurricane Katrina came over. I'll never forget what that looked like. It was a complete, leveled town. As a matter of fact, I, it was hard for me to fathom that it even ever existed. Because, like, I never saw it as, like, a real town. I just saw what I saw that day, which was just foundations. It looked like somebody was just starting to build, right? They hadn't built anything yet. Okay, this is weird. Why are and I, I stopped there on the beach, and this is what I saw. I think I have some pictures here. This is what I saw. You could see the top. There's the homes up there. The trees look kind of full and lush. And then on the bottom of the screen, just foundations. That's all that's left. The trees are even like white clean of all their branches and leaves. It was unbelievable, the force that came through there. Do we have another shot? There's a house there on the right. Do you see the house on the right up there? And then if you look straight down, there, that's what's left of the house on the right. They said, I talked to a guy there in Waveland, Mississippi. He said that the, they found debris from Waveland, Mississippi, 100 miles inland. They found items from Waveland, Mississippi, 100 miles inland. That's the force of Hurricane Katrina coming through there. We have one more. There it is. That's what I witnessed. I mean, I came through there, and I, I heard that it was a beautiful, you know, resort town right there on the Gulf. And I was like, what happened to the town? It's gone. It's completely wiped out. The devastation was complete. It was destructive beyond I could even fathom. And I couldn't imagine that that was where I lived. That was the reality that I faced. You know, I heard an interview with the mayor of Waveland, Mississippi, and he talked about how he rode out the storm there. He didn't leave, but he encouraged everybody else to leave. He said on the night where the storm came, it came in overnight, and on the night, the evening before the storm was the major part, the wind was already picking up, he went door to door, especially in the elderly residents, and there were still people who refused to leave, despite all the evidence that this was going to be catastrophic for them if they stayed. And he remembers one particular woman who had cats. She didn't want to leave her cats. And so he told her kind of what he described as a white lie. You know, cats are really good if they go in the barn. They, they climb up into the rafters and they'll be fine. And she finally said, well, okay, I'll leave tomorrow morning and I'll leave my cats. And he goes, no, you can't wait till tomorrow morning. You need to do it now. By tomorrow morning, this place isn't even going to exist. He didn't say that to her, but he knew what was coming. He had seen the big picture. He had seen the radar returns, this massive Category 4 or 5 hurricane that was bearing down right onto this town. And he was trying to encourage people, get out while you can. Get out while you can. Do you realize that that's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus came to give us salvation, to give us eternal life. There is destruction on the horizon. There is judgment for sin, and it's real, and it's severe. Just like that hurricane is real and severe, and who do you think sees the radar picture? It's God Almighty. He can see what's coming. 
And he gives us an opportunity to respond to his love and salvation. But it's not a forever opportunity. You can't wait. You can't just go, well, maybe tomorrow morning I'll do it. We can't. We're not guaranteed tomorrow morning. The Bible says now is the time of God's favor. Let today be the day of salvation. You must come to your senses. You must embrace the good news of what God has done for you. This is love. It was considerate. It was chosen freely. And it was greatly costly to Jesus to demonstrate it to us. Have you received or have you rejected the love of God? You know, we're like half a verse into our passage this morning, and I got five minutes left. But I don't care because that was needed to be said. I want to make sure that we're clear on what the gospel is and the consequences of rejecting it. Let us be motivated to move forward and share the good news with people who need to hear it. Love is consequential for our world. He provides eternal life. Number two, we're going to fly now. Love is consequential for our community because it provides abundant life. He provides us abundant life. Listen to what the rest of the verse says. It says, it says this. It says, we know what love is. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us, and we should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has the world's goods, if anyone has resources, and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? How many of you guys have seen the movie Dunkirk? Anybody seen it? What was happening in Dunkirk? It's a very interesting movie. Hitler's pans, Panzer uh, uh, tanks were, were invading. They were sweeping through Europe. And they had come into France. And they had surrounded the, the Allied forces, and they were trapped on this beach across the channel from England. And Hitler was about to launch his full assault on England. And yet there was no way to get these guys out. There was over 100,000 Allied troops. They were facing capture or death. The Royal Navy only had enough ships to barely save 17,000 men. And the House of Commons were told to brace itself for the hard and heavy tidings to come. Then, while a despairing world watched with fading hope, a bizarre fleet of ships appeared on the horizon in the English Channel. Trawlers, tugs, fishing sloops, lifeboats, sailboats, pleasure craft. An island ferry named Gracie Fields, and even America's Cup Challenger, Endeavor, all manned by civilian sailors, sped to the rescue. The ragtag armada eventually rescued 338,000 682 men and returned them home to the shores of England as pilots of the Royal Air Force jockeyed with the German Luftwaffe in the skies above the channel. It was one of the most remarkable naval operations in history. Do you realize the church is God's ragtag armada? Do you realize that he's sending us on mission to rescue those who are in danger? from the enemy, from all of his kill, steal, and destroy tactics? Are we on mission? Are we willing to go? Are we willing to share with people what they need to hear, the good news of Jesus' love? Little children, verse 18, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and in action 
It's not good enough to just say, be warm and be fed. No. We need to be the ones providing clothing and providing food. We need to be the ones meeting the physical needs so that they might feel the love of Jesus and respond to the spiritual need that they have in their life. That's what the church should be on mission to do. That's why we went to New Orleans. That's why we can do things right here in our community to love on people and to show them the love of Christ. There was a scene in a television show where a man describes a situation. And he says, a guy walks down the street and he fell in a hole. The walls were so steep he couldn't get out. A doctor passed by and the guy shouts up, hey you, can you help me? Can you help me? The doctor writes a prescription and throws it down the hole and moves on. Then a priest comes along and the guy shouts, Father, I'm down in this hole. Please come and help me. The priest writes out a prayer, throws it in the hole, and moves on. Then a friend walks by. Hey, Joe, Joe, is that you? It's me. Can you help me out here? And the friend jumps down in the hole. And the guy says, are you stupid? Now we're both down in the hole. The friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. That's a picture of love. We know the way out, do we not? Church, Jesus is the way out. Let's get down and dirty in the hole to help those who need a way out. That's what Jesus did. He left heaven. He came to earth. This is a dirt ball compared to heaven, right? He came down and he got dirty because he wanted to get us out. He loved us. When we love with truth and action, it's because we have been loved with truth and action ourselves. We have all been where they are. Are we willing to get dirty to help show others the way out? That's the call of a disciple. That's the call of a disciple. God's love is consequential for our world because it provides eternal life. God's love is consequential for our community because it provides for an abundant life. People's needs are met. Do you realize the early church, it says that everybody's needs were being met because people were generously giving to meet needs and love one another. That should be the picture of Crossroads Church. And finally, love is consequential for our own lives because it provides us a secure life, an assured life. We know who we are. We know whose we are. And we know where we're going. There's no greater security than that in a crazy, messed up world. Is there not? Listen to how the passage ends. This is how we know. This is how we will know. We belong to the truth and will convince our conscience in his presence. How? He just told us how. When we're loving like Jesus loved. That's evidence. That is evidence that we're his. That we belong to the truth. And it will convince our conscience when we're not sure. When we're having doubts. Has anybody had doubts? Has anybody had insecurities about their salvation, about being in Christ. The Bible says that even if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience, and he knows all things. You know, Peter, I think of this real quick. I want to just bring this up. Peter denied Jesus three times. Do you remember that? Do you think his conscience bothered him? Was he already, did he confess Jesus as Lord? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are right, Peter. 
on that confession, I'm going to build my entire church. You are in Christ. Amen. He denied him three times just a while long after that. And his conscience was getting to him. I can't stand there and preach for Jesus. What a hypocrite. I denied him. But God is greater than his conscience. And Jesus came and restored him. He said, Peter, you've already confessed that. That is removed as far as the east is from the west. I remember it no more. You are clean. You have a clean conscience. So go and preach. And he was able to stand in Acts chapter 3. And he told people, you have denied the Christ. To those that were in the crowd that were the Pharisees and the deniers. And he was able to do it in a clear conscience. They could have said, yeah, you denied him too, Peter. We heard about that. Because you're right. But I confess that. I screwed up. But now I stand here with a clear conscience because God has forgiven me. And I can preach to you the message you need to hear. God is greater than our conscience and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience doesn't condemn us, we have confidence before God and can receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit in the weeks to come. We're going to see what God, the gift that God has blessed us with to live out and carry out our mission on earth through his Holy Spirit. But I want to wrap up with these three assurances. These three assurances that he gives us. Number one, as we display Christ's love, this is what we gain. This is why we should be living it out. We, we gain assurance of salvation. Listen to what he says there. We belong to the truth. That's an assurance that we are saved, that we are rescued from our sin, that we are now placed in the arms of Jesus Christ and his love. We've received eternal life. Number two, we, we gain answers to our prayers. When we have that clean conscience, we can, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that he hears us, not because of our greatness, but because of his greatness. And we stand in his greatness. Through Jesus Christ, our prayers are heard. And the Bible says here that we can receive whatever we ask from him. Great, I'm going to get him a Lamborghini. This is awesome. No, it's about his will. If we're walking in him, we're not going to be asking for things that are outside of his will. Now, if you're going to use a Lamborghini on a missions trip, that might be within his will. I don't know. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to check you on that one. But my point is, is we can ask whatever we want. And he hears us, and he wants to answer our prayers. And finally, we, we get the abiding blessings and fruitfulness that comes when we remain in him. Man, read John chapter 15. John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and my word in you, he talks about this abiding with him, fellowship, staying connected. First John mentions it again, that we have fellowship with God when we walk in the light. We receive the abiding blessings and fruitfulness. Do you realize that this abiding principle is not about losing your salvation. It's about losing your fruitfulness. 
When you don't abide, when you don't choose to walk with Jesus, you lose out. Not on your salvation. That's a gift from God that cannot be revoked when you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. It cannot be taken away. You are 100% secure in God the Father's arms. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you realize that? It's not by works. We don't earn it. We have come to our senses. We've received it. It's a done deal. But if we don't abide, if we don't walk with Jesus daily, guess what we miss out on? Fruitfulness. And boy, the fruit of the Spirit is worth living out. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you want to have those things and experience those things in your life? Then abide in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for your clear message, God, that, wow, your love is consequential. Your love changes everything. God, we want to receive it because we want eternal life, God. We don't want death. We don't want separation from you. We don't want the punishment that our sins deserve. So we embrace the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness he gives us. God, if there's anyone in this room who has not asked you to become their Lord and Savior, I pray this morning for them, specifically during this time of response. God, that they will surrender their heart to you as Lord and as Savior. You get to call the shots from this day forward. You move in through your Holy Spirit and guide and direct their life. God, your love is consequential. Your love is consequential. We give you glory. We give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.